Hi, everyone. This is Greg Champion from Los Angeles, California. I'm on the Daily Reflection podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. All right. It's July 26th, and we have a guest in the studio. His name is Greg Champion, and he is founder of Startup Recovery, and he's the executive director of the Recovery Playbook. I'm so excited to have him in the studio. Greg, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what a pleasant surprise uh, to be asked to go on here. I, I, it's such an, a, a good show you guys are doing. And, um, you know, I'm someone who reads the Daily Reflections every day when I wake up. So I, I'm so happy uh, to be part of your par- podcast and uh, be able to read this. Is it? Yeah. So so we do get started by reading the Daily Reflection. And again, today is July 26th. So, Greg, if you'd get us started, that'd be great. Wonderful. Here we go. July 26th. The worth of sobriety. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. That's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 160. When I go shopping, I look at the prices, and if I need what I see, I buy it and pay for it. Now that I'm supposed to be in rehabilitation, I have to strengthen out my life or straighten out my life. When I go to a meeting, I take a coffee with a sugar and milk, sometimes more than one. But at the collection time, I'm either too busy to take money out of my purse, or I do not have enough, but I am there because I need this meeting. I heard someone suggest dropping the price of a beer into the basket, and I thought, that's too much. I almost never give $1. Like many others, I rely on more generous members to finance the fellowship. I forget that it takes money to rent the meeting room, buy the milk, sugar, and cups, I will pay without hesitation 90 cents for a cup of coffee at a restaurant after the meeting. I always have money for that. So how much is my sobriety and my inner peace worth? Thank you for reading that. Greg, before we begin, what is your sobriety date? My sobriety date's 11-7-1994. And I just want to share a little extra. So my wife and I just celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary. When we picked a date back 11 years ago, a Saturday landed on a 7-11. So the two most important dates in my life are my sobriety date, which is 11-7, and my wedding date, which is 7-11. I uh, love it. I love numerology. There's so much meaning in those numbers. So I, I'm a big believer in numerology. My wife got me involved. I'm a big believer in animal totems. You, you give me anything that's spiritual, and, and, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm an easy buy-in. Yeah. So I, I want to touch on the daily reflection uh, just briefly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're in the seventh month, and, and this is a, a nod to the seventh tradition and how valuable it is to keep the doors of AA open. So uh, I'm curious about your thoughts about the, the reflection. What are you thinking of as you read that? Well, I'm thinking a couple of things. Um, one is, um, you know, I got sober doing 90 meetings in 90 days by putting a buck in the basket. So, so my, my own sobriety is really hinging on that. And, 
And, um, and I can remember like, there's some days I don't have cash on me. I mean, we will live in a credit card app world, you know, but what I will do is if I go three or four meetings without money, when I do have money, I put extra in, you know, to make sure I covered that. Or if I happen to take a group of people to a meeting, I just put 20 bucks in to cover the whole group. Um, and, and I just feel like, you know, AA has su- survived so long um, by just a buck in the basket, you know? And so, um, and, and it said it right there in the reading, the rent, the coffee, the sugars, they have to be paid for by somebody. Um, and, and, uh, and I think it's, it's part of our duty to do our part, whether it's one quarter or, or 25 bucks. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's kind of my intro in term in terms of the, the seventh tradition. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same. And it's, you know, the reading talked about the price of a beer and I'm sure it was written at a time when the price of a beer was less than a buck, but, uh, today, uh, a buck is probably not going to get you a full beer and, and who that's sitting in the room of, of Alcoholics Anonymous is going to buy one, but one beer a day yeah, anyway. Right, so, right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, talking about how we're meeting today, there are many meetings that have, uh, transitioned during the pandemic to, to on- the online format. And there's all sorts of ways that you can contribute outside of, you know, dropping a dollar in a basket. You can do so via Venmo or PayPal. Um, you know, I set that up for my, my home group. And what some people don't know is, you know, contributing a buck in person, that dollar goes to the group and you can use it for rent or whatever the expenses are. But but paying a dollar via PayPal, there are all sorts of little service charges. And what mm. happens is, you know, the treasurer ends up getting something like 64 cents on the dollar. So um, just a note about that. But wanted to ask you, are do you attend meetings online? I do. I, yeah. I attend um, probably six meetings a week. Um, and now that things have opened up, four of those are in person and two are in online. Um, and, uh, and I, I think I'm going to keep that schedule. I, I like to sometimes roll out of bed in my sweats and, mm-hmm. and, and, and be my little black box like we are today. And, and, um, and, uh, and sometimes I just lay there and I, and I have my headphones in. And so, um, I, I, I think it's great that, um, uh, that recovery groups, um, 12 step groups have all encompassed um zoom as a solution um but i i've I've been going to a lot of in-person meetings last few weeks and and let me tell you michael it it is magic it's magic to get those those hugs those smiles the laughs in the room um i thought i've seen a couple people take year cakes and 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 just literally that when people Mm. get a year cake i I can't help but not feel that um it's that that's the magical year i I believe yeah that first year uh, I, I, I love the in-person meetings. I'm so glad they're coming back. Yeah. Now, when you first started out, you you talked about 90 meetings in 90 days, and I'd like to bring us back. Let's let's go back to to that time when you did come in. What was going on in your life that um, that had you thinking you might want to change the way you're living? Well, it's real simple. Greg plus drug, drugs and alcohol equal jail. Um, <laughs> uh, between ages 22 and 25, I went to jail eight times. And the two things that were in common were Greg and alcohol. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and, and my, my, my jail sentences got to be more, um, more time. And what I mean by that, first, there was a couple of drunk driving. There was a couple, I got drunk and got fights. Um, I got arrested twice in 24 hours in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And this is the alcoholic brain. Um, I w- walked up to this big Irish cop, Mike, on, on Bourbon Street the first night. And I said, hey. 
what, what can I actually get in trouble for? He goes, don't piss in my streets and don't fight in my streets. So I ask you, Mike, as a fellow recovering <laughs> alcoholic, what two things did this guy get arrested for? Pissing in the streets and fighting in the streets. <laughs> because when I drink alcohol, I don't give it F about anything. It's my way or the highway. Mm. And as I continued down that path, um, I began doing some entrepreneurial activities that involved, um, you know, moving large amounts of marijuana from one side of the country to the other <laughs> side of the country. And, and, uh, and guess what? I, I was not a good uh, entrepreneur in, in that realm. And I got caught and I got put in front of the judge. And the judge says to me, hey, man, you're a good kid. You have a college degree. You went to Catholic private school. Your last name's Champion. What happened? And I said, I don't know. And, and it's a scary, those three words, because what I, I looking back, I don't know, because when I'm drunk or high, I'm an animal and I'm in a fog. I'm in a blackout. I'm in I'm just I'm just doing what what I'm cannibalizing everything in front of me. And um, here's what the judge said to me, he says, Greg, here's what I do know. Um, if I see you in my courtroom in the next six months, I'm going to give you the five years hanging over your head. Well, 18 days later, I'm in my little sports car. I've had two joints. Um, I've had six beers and I'm on my way to a party and um, I have a couple bindles of Coke in my pocket. And um, I go in this party to which I don't know anybody because by this time, my high school and college friends had left me. Uh, high school friends were, they don't want to be associated with me. And I really scared my college friends mm -hmm. in terms of my behavior. And um, I ended up uh, uh, lining up a couple of lines of Coke in front of an undercover cop. And uh, woke up the next day in a jail cell, fetal position, cold floor, by myself. And uh, a little voice in the corner said to me, Greg, there's a better way. Greg, there's a better way. And no one else was in the cell. And, and so um, this was that little voice that we all have. <laughs> mm. uh, and, um, and the voice said, call your mother. Now, Mike, I don't want to call my mother facing five years in prison. Um, she was a good mom. She was a good lady. She did everything she could, but alcoholism, as you know, is undefeated, mm -hmm. absolutely undefeated. Um, and I did call my mom. Here's what she told me. Um, I need you to go to church, church. She was, yeah, I want you to go to church. And so I got bailed out that Sunday, went to a six o'clock mass. And, um, after the mass, the priest says, Hey, I got six priests here. We're all going to do confession." There's three doors over here and three doors over here. And I chose door number two. And I went in there and there was this beautiful older man with gray hair and lightning blue eyes and a white cloak. And he says, son, sit down. I sat down. He says, tell me your sins. And I began to tell him my sins. I said, you know, when I drink a lot, I go into bars and I hurt people. When I smoke pot, I end up, um, I, I end up uh, showing up on December 27th for Christmas. When I do a lot, a lot of cocaine, I, uh, I date three women at the same time and they have no idea. And when I do all three of those, I fly large amounts of marijuana to the East Coast. And he says, son, stop. He says, do you think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol? No. And then he gave me that great look that all old timers in recovery give you. Do you really want to tell me the truth this time? And so what I told him was, uh, you know, what? I said, father, you're the second man in my life to ever um, asked me that question. He goes, who was the first? I said, my stepfather. He said, what was your stepfather's name? I said, Walt Janicki. The priest reaches out, grabs my hand firmly and says, I was Walt Janicki's first sponsor.
Wow. That's incredible. And right then, and I, I tear up every time I've been telling this story. I am now. Right, right then, I thought to myself, whatever this man says next, you have to listen to. This is it. If you don't take this man's direction, you're going to end up in the grave. And all your dreams and all your hopes and all the promises of a good life will be over. And what he said was this. He says, he says Mike, um, your sins don't belong here. They belong four blocks up at the Alano Club, and there happens to be a 12-step meeting starting, and I think you should go. And that was 11-7-1994. Wow. And the man's name was Father Bill Wilson, by the way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I went and saw Father Bill the next day, and he says, Greg, I need you to do three things. I'm going to sponsor you, but I need you to do three things. Don't drink or use no matter what. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days and take boxing lessons boxing lessons. And he goes, yeah, because when you do the first two, you're going to have so much resentment and anger. You got to put it somewhere. And so that's what I tell all my sponsees. Don't drink or use no matter what, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and do some form of exercise to get that out of you, to sweat mm -hmm. it out of you. And so yeah. that's, that's where it began for me. And ever since then, I've had a deal. I said, God, I will, I will not drink if you give me a good life. And guess what? We've both held up to that end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Now I, I, I want to find out <clears throat> you, you, you met this guy, he became your sponsor. What was it like, you know, actually doing the work, beginning the work and, and starting to work the steps? You know, the first one was automatic on powers over alcohol. Cause he goes, he, he said to me, he goes, Hey, you're, I, he says, I see your face. You're very scared. I said, yeah, I'm facing five years in prison. He says, Greg, I'm going to make you a deal. Greg plus drugs and alcohol equals jail, right? And I said, yeah, take, take drugs and alcohol out of the equation. And I've done that for 26 and a half years and I've been to jail zero times. So I knew the first step was, was easy for me. Powerless, unmanageability. The second step, I was raised Catholic. And so there was a former God I knew was out there. Now that former God, what's crazy about this, Mike, is that there was a man of cloth, right? Right, a good old priest who pointed me to the rooms of recovery, to which I developed a new form of God or higher power, which I call the ripple effect. What I put out is what I get back. If a whole bunch of assholes are showing up at my door this week, guess what? I've probably been an asshole, you know. But if I'm putting good juju out, I know good juju is coming back, and that's that's how I align my life now. That's my higher power. So two and three are right there. But I will tell you, step four scared the shit out of me. I had secrets. I had resentments. Um, the secrets is what I, I really was scared to, sh to share. And it, it took me a long time to get through step four. Um, and, um, and, and so I always encourage people. That's, that's the step that turns girls into women and boys into men. <laughs> and, and so I, I become a four-step guru, by the way. Um, and um, I don't say that out of pride. I just say that, that I, I just know that that's the linchpin to recovery. Is getting through four and five. Yeah. So, so actually doing the fourth step, putting that inventory together yep. and then, and then sharing it. Uh, I'm curious, did you share it with the, the priest? I did not. I did okay. not. Um, I moved to a different city, found a new home group, found a new sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, and then what I did is I shucked and jived. I would do step one, two, and three with a new sponsor, get scared. And then I pull a Kaiser Soze and gone, <laughs> you know? And then eventually I heard a speaker share and he shared my exact story. He was raised by a single mom, um, had childhood trauma, 
Um, and I thought, oh my God, if this guy is sharing my story, I should go up to him and ask him to be my sponsor. And what was the catalyst for me is he, we did the four columns, but then he added a fifth column, the shame column. And he goes, I want you to write down on a, on a legal pad of paper, the word shame. And I want you to write down this, the, the things that are still inside of you. And guess what? There were 17 things still inside of me that I never told another human being. And they were around childhood trauma. They were around money. They were around, um, you know, just embarrassment, you know, and, um, uh, and, 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 and what we did is we did the old fashioned uncover, discover, discard. And he was so gentle with me, had such empathy for me um, that I felt safe. And so when I worked the fourth step, I put the shame column of people because that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to unpack that backpack of shame because it gets heavy. It gets real heavy if, you, if you're looking that around. And the likelihood of you staying sober without getting that stuff out of you is not, is not, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been, that's been the magical part of me. And here's the other thing. Step five is, um, you know, it says you'll share your pain with God, yourself, and another human being. And, Mike, I don't know about you, but God's already seen that movie. You're going to lie to yourself. So the only thing you're scared of is the other human being. So Keep listening to people's shares and find that one person you can go take a long walk on, long long walk with. That's what I found to be the, the magic formula. Beautiful. Now I know you've you've dedicated your life to to recovery and you've done quite a bit um, after getting sober. I want to talk really quickly about you know what did that transition look like? You you got sober. You you worked the steps. Uh, you stayed sober. How long before you started to to actually work in the field. So for me, um, I moved to Los Angeles in 1997 uh, and I had um, four years of sobriety at that time, but LA is a big city. It's a scary place. There's a lot of temptation. And I remember I was still going out with a lot of my friends who, who drank and used, you know? And then one day it hit me. He's like, you don't need to go out on Thursday nights anymore, you know? And you're not going to be hung over on Saturday mornings. And I thought to myself, I need to start using that time more wisely. And so what I did is on Thursday nights, I stayed in, and I started writing scripts, working on treatments, making a list of people I had contact regarding being creative in Los Angeles. And on Saturday mornings, I go into the office and I print my scripts and, and I start to pack them and use that time. And what I found was the four hours on Thursday nights and the four hours on, on Saturday mornings times 52 weeks, you're going to have something done. And so what I call that is shifting addiction to passion. I was no longer using drugs and alcohol. I was no longer hungover. So I I had time. And so for me, that turned into mentoring people about that. Like, hey, what are you going to do once you're sober? And and so I really grabbed onto that shifting addiction to passion. And so people said, hey, I'm going to go back to school. Well, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to use Thursday nights and Saturday mornings. I want to be a writer. I want to be a singer. I want to be a dancer. I want to learn how to surf. Um, I want to start my own business. And if you do that, you know, eight hours times 52 weeks, you're going to have something done. And, and what that, that boiled up to was I was able to build a business. So I worked at Fox and DreamWorks and NBC, all these great companies. And I learned from them, right? You learn, obviously they're, they're successful, but I also have this statement. I've had bad bosses and I've had good bosses. And I learned more from the bad bosses because I learned what not to do. You know, yeah. and, and and that helped me forge my own company. And, and mentorship was great for me. I was six years in L.A. having a nice career, but it wasn't until I got a mentor till I had my own company a year later, because he mm-hmm. taught me his mistakes that I didn't have to make. 
those landmines I didn't have to step on. And so I always believe that mentorship is the key to success. I also have never met anybody successful who doesn't have routine. You know, I get up in the morning, I pray and meditate. I have coffee. I need my coffee. I'm still addicted to some things and coffee is one of them. Um, And then uh, I just get into my routine. I get right into a a, a 12-step meeting in the morning. I have a a staff meeting. Um, I do some coaching in the morning. I get to, you know, I try to keep my day in a routine. And and how you, to, to finalize how I got into the recovery business, Mike, was this. 20 years later, after having a nice career in marketing, PR, and entertainment, I'm, I'm speaking at a 12-step meeting, and I'm saying, I built my business out of shifting addiction to, to passion. I've mentored over 100 young people to their first and second jobs. I taught entrepreneurship at USC, um, and I got sober in my 20s. And this, I, in, my, in my talk, I sit down, and after the meeting, this little, beautiful 70-year-old lady comes up to me. She's like a female Yoda. And she says, you would make a great group facilitator. Group facilitator? What's a group facilitator? This is five and a half years ago. And so I look up on Google what a group facilitator and is someone who goes into sober livings and treatment centers and, and teaches groups about something about life. And I said, what, would I, what, what's, what am I going to teach? She says, your story plus recovery. And so what I did was able to come up with a curriculum that, that brought my entrepreneurial startup knowledge Right, in my business knowledge, together with someone who has twenty-something years of sobriety, and and I created startup recovery, and and out of that came um, a coaching business, and more recently, in the last three and a half years, with some um, awesome partners, Jeffrey Van and Patricia Myers, we've built a beautiful company out here in Los Angeles that allows people to come, be with us, and we get them to reset their lives, to push the reset button on their lives. And, um, and what I mean by that is when they sit there wounded and they're trying to get their lives and their wives back, right? We help them, uh, you know, I'm sober now what? And we have certain lessons that we teach. We also rely heavily on the 12-step program. Uh, um, and, um, and that's it. I mean, that's how I got there. And, and boy, I'm so glad I made that shift. And here's, here's the great thing. And I tell everybody, if God opens a door for you, walk through it. And, and, the other thing about, like you brought up tradition seven, what about step seven, about humility? Mike, I started on the bottom. I was a group facilitator, right? Then I was a recovery coach, right? And now I'm a recovery business owner because just like how I did in my Hollywood career where I started as a production assistant and worked my way up to executive producer, I thought I needed the same knowledge in the, in the recovery industry. I want to know every job on the way up. And, um, and so uh, I also would say, that's my business advice. You know, learn every job as you're building a business, so when you so you know what everybody's doing, mm-hmm. and everybody everybody feels like you you're in it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I love your energy, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about addiction versus passion. You know, the core of the program that you talked about shifting addiction to passion, and um, I'm someone who obviously has an, an addictive personality, and I love finding passion in the things that I get to do. Um, but sometimes those things overlap and I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts on, you know, the, the line, that fine line between addiction and passion and, and have you seen where some addictions can be used for good? For me, um, you know, I'm a self-admitted workaholic, you know, and, um, that served me well as a young single man in Los Angeles, 
but did not serve me well when I became married and had a family. And my, my marriage suffered because of my workaholism. My kids suffered because of my workaholism. And, and just like a rock bottom in my sobriety, I had a rock bottom in my life a few years ago. And I had to course correct. You know, I had to get into uh, couples therapy with my wife. And we had to do the three-legged stool. I had to do the work. She had to do the work. And we had to do the work together to, to heal our marriage. Um, I had to reconnect with my children. And people ask me, what's your hobby? You know what my hobby is? My two children. Whatever they're doing, I'm doing. Because um, I only have them for 18 years. Um, you know, I, I see them one hour in the morning, two hours at night. And I, and I really try to take the weekends, not to play golf or goof off, uh, to really focus on their softball games or, or their um, soccer games. And, um, and, and with my wife, you know, it's, we've, we've remarried, you know, a few times, if you know what I mean, reset our marriage. And so I, 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 I want to say to your audience that sometimes in life, we, you know, I will say this, the obsession to drink and use has left that left, re- left around year five, but the obsession to obsess has not. And in my 25 years of sobriety, it has shown up in gambling, it has shown up in sex. It has shown up in uh, work. It has shown up in resentments. Mike, you give me a good resentment, and I will obsess on that for 18 months. And even though I have all the tools, right, I will just grind and grind and grind. And really, the only person I'm hurting is me, mm-hmm. is me. And so I know there is solutions in the big book. I know there is solutions when I started going to individual therapy and sharing about that. I know there is solutions when I go spend time with my sponsor around resentment. And sometimes you just have to get an acceptance. I remember my wife and I were separated back in 2013. And I really was not happy with what was going on in terms of of the results. And I went to my sponsor to his house and I sat quietly with him and I took off my wedding ring and I put it on his desk. And I said, I know you want me to have plan A, which is us getting back together, but I'm going to be in acceptance of plan B. And the way my higher power worked in the universe was the next morning, I got an email from my wife saying, hey, I understand your mother is sick. Why don't we pack up the kids in the car and go see her? And so what that taught me, Mike, was that if I got an acceptance of plan B, I was rewarded plan A. And and that's been a a real big lesson for me. And and, and what I'm trying to seek now in my last 10 years of sobriety, since I have two small kids, is emotional sobriety. It is I'm not going to drink or use, but I'm still going to act like a jackass sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just want to go from 40 times a month to 30 times a month to maybe twice a month, <laughs> you know? And then obviously we have that great 10 step to make amends. And, uh, you know, and I, and I know that's in my arsenal as well. Yeah. So that's where I'm at in terms of, 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 of using those steps to, 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 to acquire emotional sobriety. Mm, Yeah. So you've talked a lot about your success and I'm, I'm really interested in the, in the program that you've put together. I'm going to learn more about it. Um, I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit about some of the success stories you've experienced as you've, you've coached and, and led groups. Sure. As I've led groups and I have coached individuals, you know, in what we call the recovery playbook, um, here, here's what's happened is when um, I, I have allowed men um, to get their wives and their lives back. You know, I, I once had a woman um, come sit on my couch and say, listen, 
I am this far away from throwing my husband down the stairs. She was on it. God on us. She's going to throw her husband down the stairs. And what I can tell you is this man is now um, two years sober. He's present for his kids. Um, he goes to church every Sunday. And I remember we did an exercise called the 10 intentions. And what the 10 intentions is, Mike, is, is I, you do 10 things like, you know, go to church every Sunday, meet a uh, president of the United States, go to the pyramids, learn how to surf, um, you know, and, and, and write a book. And if you accomplish four, you move the other six over to the next year and add four. And what happens is within four to five years, the original 10 are done. And I've seen that happen time and time again. And so this guy's, one of his intentions was to go to church every Sunday. And that intention he did, and again, it helped put the glue back in his family. We, we've, um, I've seen people build businesses. I've had two clothing companies come out of the coaching I do, Shifting Addiction to Passion. Um, I saw a young man start a sober recording studio because the music business is full of drugs and alcohol. He says, you know what? I know a lot of sober acts that need a place that they want to feel safe in. And now he has a thriving business. You know, and more importantly, I've seen where the light goes on. And yes, I, I, I do um, recovery for a career. It does put food on the table for my family. But I'm going to tell you what means the most to me is when the light goes on. When I see that shift of that person who I know is going to remain sober and get their life back, you know, or more importantly, start a new life. Um, I had a young man who I worked with um, five years ago. I said, what did what, you do for joy when you were a kid before drugs and alcohol? I said, I played the guitar. I loved it. And I said, well, guess what? Part of, part of your recovery is put a guitar back in your hands. And in his five years of sobriety, Mike, he's written 90 songs. He does demos. He's going to be on the road soon, you know, and he's got this great Eddie Vedder Pearl Jam voice, you know, so he'll be swooing the, the girls soon, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but but that what, what, what's amazing about um, what we do is we really want people to discover their joy because that's the inner passion. And so what I would say to you, Mike, is if I said if I was coaching you, hey, Mike, before drugs and alcohol, what'd you do for joy? So I'll ask you that question before, when did you start drinking and use it, Mike? Oh, when I was in my teens. Yeah. 12, 13. Yeah. Right oh. on. So what'd you do for joy when you were 10 and 11? Tough to remember, I guess. Uh... Here, let me help you. So, so when I, before 10 and 11, I loved to body surf. I grew up in San Diego, loved, loved the, 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 the energy of the waves, loved to body surf. I love skateboarding, you know, up and down the boardwalk mm. as a young man. And I also love mint chocolate chip ice cream from Baskin Robbins. Okay. Those are three joys mm -hmm. as I had a kid. Yeah. Well, guess what? Today I'm going body surfing with my two daughters. They're both skateboarders and I skateboard with them. And last night we had mint chocolate chip ice cream uh, for, for dessert. So even at 52 years old, I'm still enjoying these childhood things. And so I just ask you, Mike, go back and tell me what you did for joy and start doing those things. Because mm -hmm. that's that's the innate joy that's inside you. And when you start doing them, guess what? You do them for fun because they make you feel good. Look, we've got listeners that uh, that may be early in recovery, and maybe they're not even in the program formally yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I love to ask guests, especially someone with your background, what kind of advice would you give them if they're just kind of dipping a toe in the water? So I love that you mentioned water because I use the metaphor of a boat. I say, hey, newcomers, just get in the boat and row with me. 
Just get in the middle of the boat, row with me, and let God be the rudder. Mm. But before you get in that boat, you got to leave the anchors on the shore. And those anchors are lower companions, drug dealers, and girls and boys you can't bring home to mom. Mm. And, and I've seen many a times where a, a newcomer is getting sober, getting sober, and all of a sudden they, they go back to their hometown and they go out because those anchors, those lower companions are just waiting for them because mm-hmm. misery loves company. And when you get into the 12 steps and you get into a recovery program, there's a great tribe there. And I always say, like, if you are watching a documentary on Africa and you see the wildebeest uh, running up and down the, the tundra, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, which ones get picked off? The ones on the outside, the ones on the outside. And I always say this, too, about newcomers. I say, look, keep it simple. The recovery programs have the 12 steps, the 12 traditions. They have rooms, all this kind of stuff. But it's really don't drink or use no matter what. Go to meetings and grow the F up. Mm. And, and, and really, that last one's the toughest one for the two because we're, we're just hurt little boys and hurt little girls. And, um, and what I've known is just stay in the middle. Just stay in the middle. And mm-hmm. one last thing the newcomers share. Put your hand in the air. Because what I've known for over 25 years is when I share, one of two things is going to happen. If I share my pain, I'm going to get a couple nods from guys like Mike across the way going, oh, my God, that, that happened to me. And when I see those nods, it cuts my pain in half. And when I share my joy, like, hey, I just had a new baby girl. All the fathers that have had kids know what that feels like. And they're going to nod. And guess what? I've doubled my joy. And, and I've never walked into a room of, of, of out in the public world where I get hugged, smiled, laughed. Like, it is, it is fun. Sobriety is fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, I, and here's the other thing. I'm 52. I don't look 52. Okay. And when I go back to high school reunions, guess what? The, my fellows, they look 62 because they've still <laughs> been drinking and using. And what I want to say is sobriety is the anti-aging drug. Believe me when I say that. I got sober at 25 and I'm so blessed that I don't really have any physical ailments. Uh, I feel pretty good. Um, I have a great memory. Like when I get together with my old friends, they all come to me going, please tell us the story again because they can't remember it. So for you newcomers, that's it right there in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Just get in the boat and row with us. You know, I'll grab an oar, you grab an oar, we'll, we'll row together and let God be the rudder. Thanks. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I, I, I want to give you some space to talk about um, your project. And yep. your companies, um, where can people find more information about Startup Recovery? Okay. So Startup Recovery um, is a transitional living. We have two beautiful houses in the Pacific Palisades. We also have sober apartments where you can go live in a sober community. It's, um, you know, it's independent living with guardrails. And really what we see is the strength of community. At Startup Recovery, we have um, four core values, accountability, education, community, and love. And we really shower our clients with those. Um, and out of, out of Startup Recovery, we also have the Recovery Playbook, which are 12 plays that we do with each of our clients. They range from the digital scrub to the lies we tell ourselves, to the backpack of shame, um, to the right to write. I help everybody write their life story. What's the beginning, middle, and then in quotes, the end? You get to write your own ending. And it's really powerful. It's I'm sober, now what? And, uh, and it's all found online too. And you, where the two places you can find it is startuprecovery.com 
and the recoveryplaybook.com. And uh, I also have a podcast. And here's what I do. I interview sober entrepreneurs. That's my niche. Because what I feel is that, guess what? People get sobriety and they build great lives out of that sobriety. And so that's that's the angle I want to, when I have my podcast, Mike, it's is that's the angle I, I do is I, I say, hey, you were in a gutter 30 years ago with a needle in your arm. And now you just sold your company for $400 million. Please tell me that journey. Well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience, strength and hope. It's been a great conversation. Mike, thank you. You guys have been great on the Daily Reflection podcast. And I want to thank Lee, who's behind the scenes. I want to thank our fellow friend, Scott, for putting us together. I always have this little slogan, good people know good people. And you you guys are good people. Appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.